So what I love about scripture is there's not all these stories and parables and things in it just because Jesus is an author who was looking to try to fill a book. Like if you told that story, it's because it matters to our life today. He told this story about houses and foundations because he knows it's possible that you would build your life on something that would sink you when the storms come. Are you with me? We were camping a couple weeks ago and we had a, a spot on the, on the lake and 50 mile an hour winds came in the middle of the night. And um, of course, you know, you're camping and so you're in extra lazy mode. And so the bikes are still out there. The flate inflatables are all still out there. I think the baby was still out there. I'm not sure, but, <laughs> but everything's out there and it's the middle of the night. And I'm like, Jess, you need to go pick everything up. <laughs> it's really windy. And, um, and so what's interesting as I was, I was thinking about this sermon, you know, that's what the enemy actually wants us to do. He wants us to start a work in God, plant some things in the ground with God, set up ourselves in the things of God. And then when the storms come, because we didn't secure it right, we didn't build, we run out and we tear it all back. And then you have to start back over. That's what this is talking about. It's saying, look, you can't build your life in convenience or not staked down properly truths. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? You, you got to have a foundation. You got to set this thing solidly. Uh, we have a dirt bike track at my in-laws and uh, it's in the Grand Haven area. Most of it is a, a sandier soil. And uh, there is a couple places where to build the 231 bypass, they excavated some things and brought in some better dirt. And so we use the better dirt for our jumps because it holds better. It's firm. It's a better foundation. You tracking with me? And, uh, and so those are the good jumps. Those are the ones you want to hit with speed. Those are the whatever. Uh, but what happens is we get our machinery out there and we start moving things around and we want to add more jumps and make, you know, make things better and bigger. And, and so the temptation is you'll be building something in an area that's mostly sand. And because the sand is there and the good dirt's way on the other side, we try to build something with just the best of what's around. Understand what I'm trying to say? And so we just take what's the most convenient, what's the most near us, and we say, this will be good enough. And so in our case, we get the bad dirt and it's sand, and so sand is really loose. And so you have a dirt bike that goes really fast and it hits really loose sand. And how many know that as far as a jump is not a very good turnout? So we build these things and we say, Scott, go try that jump because he'll hit anything. <laughs> He's like Mikey, you know, he'll eat anything. He's like, Scott, go see if that holds. <laughs> And so it doesn't work. And uh, thankfully, he's still with us today. But, uh, but I noticed and I thought on that as I thought of this sermon, it's, it's the temptation that we all face in the busyness of life. It's like, hey, we do want to build this thing in God. We do want to have this thing put together. And because of the way that we've structured our life, we just take a look around and we're like, this will be good enough. This will be good enough. And we put it together. And then when storms come, it doesn't hold and it doesn't last. Or you're like us when a storm comes because you haven't built well, you run out and you retreat with everything. And so you go all the way backwards because you weren't properly put together to withstand. Are you with me? So I want to talk about foundations this month. What are the things? Not, not because I want to get you, not because I want to tell you you're not doing good. You're not doing good enough. I, that's not the purpose of this. What I'm saying is the same thing that Heavenly Father says. It's like you got to build it right so that you can stand. And as a pastor, I could get up here and say nice things and make you feel good. But my challenge to you this month is like, you got to get it right. We got to build this thing proper because I don't want to see you sink. Are you with me? 
Jesus does this really incredible thing. And this is just kind of a setup to the series and in just a little bit of time that I have. But there's this awesome uh, thing in John chapter 10. He goes through all of the I am's. And all the I am's are incredibly powerful. And we actually have the women doing a study about it. And so I'm not taking away from the I am's at all. But he goes through all the I am's. But in this one, he makes a shift that I find to be really, really incredible. And I think it's the same about our lives. John chapter 10, verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. He knows who he is. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. Talking about you. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. And then it says this, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. In one place, he's I am. And then at another place, the I am causes him to be an I must person. It's possible for us to be a people who have an I am. We have an understanding of who we are. We understand how God wants to bless us and love us and take care of us. But you don't stop there. He does those things here so that we can turn and then be a people who must with it. Are you with me? That's the foundation of all of this thing. He didn't come and bless us and call us and equip us and position us so that we could do nothing. He did it all so that then we could turn and must. Are you with me? So the I am is important. It's important we know our I am. It's our identity in God. You should know your I am. He said, I am the good shepherd. This is settled in me of what I am. You should have things about God settled in you. Your salvation with God, it's who you are. You're saved. You're redeemed. Blessed and highly favored, you are. It's who you are. I am blessed and highly favored. It's how God called you. Uh, Your beliefs, it's it's who you are. Believe in God. It's your I am. Uh, I love that Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. He was settled in the fact that what he is in God is enough. Some of us hold back on, on moving to the must because we don't, we, we don't think we're good enough. We don't think we have what it takes. You're at a book study table. You're at the grocery store. You're waiting for somebody else to come do it because you haven't settled that who you are is who God wants you to be. He's called you. He's equipped you. He's positioned you. You're, you're, you're plenty able to move into the must be. Amen. Are you with me? Yeah. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. I know that I got all that God has given me. Of course, continuing to grow and reach. God didn't want you to be somebody else. He wants you to be confident in the I am of who you are in God. So I'm not taking away from I am at all. But if we stop in the I am identity, then you're going to miss really what God has for you. Even Moses goes to Pharaoh and he said, God, what should I say? By what authority can I speak to Pharaoh? And he said, you go there and you tell him that I am has sent you. It's a settled thing when you're confident in your I am. There needs to be no explanation. There needs to, you can walk into darkness settled in the fact that you are confident in I am. Am I making sense? But then you move into this I must. And I've told you this before, that one of the hardest things about pastoring is just seeing people settle for less. It's, you know, everybody says, oh, it's the hardest part about pastoring. Is it coming up with a sermon? Is it all these other, all these other things that are very difficult about being a pastor? But I tell you the hardest thing for me, especially planting a church, which, you know, you, you, you see just the congregation as family and people you love deeply. The hardest thing for me is just people settling for less than God's best. 
making excuses for themselves or making situations where they would just rather stay back here instead of getting to where God has for them. Are you with me? And so this is Jesus pull it saying, hey, not only am I confident and settled in this I am, but I also understand that the I am leads me into an I must. I must do something with this. We do the same thing with our kids. As a parent, I spend all of my time, all of my life, you spend all of this energy as you have your kids doing what? Teaching them who they are. The I am, you are, you're this, you're this, and you're instilling and you're speaking into them the, the characteristics and the qualities and the integrities and all of the things of who they are. Why? So that someday when there must be comes, they're prepared to handle that. Does that make sense? It's the same thing in the kingdom of God. The word is given to us and God speaks to us and we worship. And all of these things that we say are these I am's being put into us and settling us and speaking to us so that what? So that when the day comes, when our must be comes, we're ready to handle it. Because you're not called to just stay settled at this I am. The problem is religion does do that. We've created this consumerism, Christianity, that just says, oh, I just... I, I want to go to another book study because I want, I just want to hear about my, me. I am, I am, I am. God says this about me. And we just keep getting more bloated. Oh, I want to go to church. I want to have another experience where I just feel I am, I am, me, me, me. Tell me more about me and how great I am in God. And, and all we do is just keep consuming. But that's not God's design. It's I am so that then we can go walk out in our must be that God's called us to be. I am is a being there is a spectating. It's a settled in who you are. And that's good. We want to study. We love book study. We love all of that learning who you are, but you don't stop there. Are you with me? So it's the, it's the being there. It's the spectating, but I must moves you into participation and contribution. (laughs) You guys love those words in church, right? (laughs) Because I heard you say nothing, (laughs) but God has called you. And the greatest thrill in your life is when you get to that place. I am is great, and it's wonderful to be built up, but there's nothing like the thrill of victory in God. When you step into your must be, and this is what God has created me to be, and you walk into all of that, that is the greatest. Amen? I, uh, it's when we move from living from convenience to living to in conviction. Totally convicted and, and living in conviction of how God's called us and equipped us, and no matter what the situation, we are convinced and con- convicted that this is God's for me. Are you with me? Uh, I said it just a, a minute ago. I don't believe that the enemy is scared of a bunch of bloated cookie monster Christians. And what I mean by that is this. We go to church and we walk around and you're cookie monster. I am, I am, I am, I am. And you just, you just want to eat and eat and eat. And more cookies are more I am, I am. Tell me more about me. Right? And, and we laugh, but it's so true. The highest attended things are where somebody's going to come learn how to live their best life. Are you with me? What about the series that says, hey, come learn how to give all, right? How's that one going to show up, right? Take up your cross and deny yourselves. No, because we're this cooking, I am, I am. Tell me more about how great I am in God. Are you with me? Jesus at 12 years old had this maturity of this understanding. He's in the temple. You remember they left him behind and they show up to him and they're like, hey, you've stayed back. You know, what's the deal? They're trying to reprimand him. And he says this, I must be about my father's business. He didn't say I must be about my father's blessing. I got to hang out at the temple. I'm going to stay back at the temple because I just want more, more blessing. 
No, I, I need to start moving into some must-dos, some action here. The foundation of us all is that, is that we're blessed to be a blessing. You're, you're blessed to be the blesser. Are you with me? So I say, hey, I, I got to be about business here. 12 years old, Jesus, the mindset is already, I got to be a must-doer here. We got stuff to do and accomplish here on this earth. Not I am, I am, I am. Right. You with me? Yeah. You could have taken one more Sunday off. I know I've been out for a little while, so <laughs> you could have. So Jesus at 12 already understands. They asked Jesus, how do you become great? How do you become great in the kingdom of God? You go be a must-beer, a must-doer. You be a servant. His response is, you want to know how? Not study more. Not go find out more about yourself, not, not, not more building up. And, and all that stuff is good. We do that. You need to do that because you won't be able to be the proper must-be, the must-do person if you don't have the proper I am in you. Are you with me? Yeah. But he says the greatest is somebody who goes and serves and gives their life and lives out this must-do. Uh, I saw in Jesus' life, he's so certain about this must-be, must-do is you see that there's a scripture I've read it to you before. I've preached a whole sermon about it. Uh, but you see this story where Jesus is in a town, and they come to him and they say, hey, Jesus, great news. Um, the other towns have heard all the miracles that you did. He just spent the night doing miracles, healing people, setting people free. And they said, hey, great news. We have more people coming uh, today, and you'll be able to do more of the same. And Jesus says, well, actually, I must be on my way to Jerusalem. And he turns, literally turns his back on good need. I mean, those were real causes. Those were real issues. And Jesus essentially walked away from it all. Why? Because he understood what his must be was, which he said all throughout scripture. If you read the New Testament, so many times the writers continue to reiterate on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem was the destiny. It was the high call. It was the big purpose for him. Are you with me? Because it led him to the cross and it was the deny, it was the whole thing. So he literally says to those people, I realize those are good needs. I realize those are real things, but I must be about the big thing. Are you tracking with me? And so he understood what it is. And I think we need to be able to say the same thing. What is your must be? When you set your schedule, when you take a look at your life, when you balance your checkbook, is there a core conviction in you that says, oh, no, 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 no. It's not enough that we just come over here and go, I am, and we, but, but what is the must be that drives us? Amen? God has a must that needs to meet our must. That's what I love about God is not only does he put great must be's in your life and called you to great must be's. Sounds like an animal, right? I go down there and get a must be. <laughs> They're hard to take care of. Uh, but not only has he put them in your life, but he's also positioned heaven to meet you in those moments. We see the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. You see where Zacchaeus is like, look, I have got to see the man of God. I've got to see Jesus. I've got to see God. I've got to see Jesus. I've got, and so we all know Zacchaeus, he climbs up in the tree because he's saying, I've got this must be in my life. I must encounter him. I must receive from him. And what I love about Jesus' response is when he sees the hungry heart of a must-be person, he, he's drawn to it. Zacchaeus chapter, uh, Luke 19, I think it's verse 5. It says, when Jesus reached that spot, he looked and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Guess what the next word is? I must stay at your house. There's a must-be that met each other. Many of you are just saying, God, when are you going to find me? When are you going to connect? When are you going to come back? When are we going to? And God's over here saying, I just need to see that must be shift made in your life. 
where you're not just drawing it for yourself. You're not just drawing it for unto you and your own family. But when you get into a core conviction of this must be happening, are you with me? For my community, then God says, hey, I, can, I must come to your place and dwell. I must show up at your business. I must show up in your house, your school, your neighborhood, because I see the must be in your life. What I love about this is guess who is actually closest to Jesus? The religious. Isn't that interesting? The Pharisees were actually the ones the most near him. And he looked past everybody who had all their IMs in a good row. And he said, hey, check out the must be guy up there. Let's go to his house. Because religion loves to say, get it all put in order and get your IMs and put those on display and be all about your... And Jesus is like, I'm looking for that must be person. Jesus understood, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, the scripture says that he's bleeding, he's sweating blood. Because in his personal life, Jesus, he's saying, God, there's this must be in front of me, but if there's any other way, let it pass from me. If there's any other way, take this thing from me. But even he understood there's no other way than the must be way. I've got to do this thing. And so even Jesus gives us a great example of it's not what I want, it's what I must be. Uh, Paul, you can read all throughout the New Testament. There's so many warnings given to Paul as he travels. Like, hey, don't go down that way. Uh, If you go down that way, they're prepared to kill you. They're prepared to beat you. They're going to shipwreck you. And he literally responds, I must be. God called me to that city. God called me to that village. God called, all throughout the scripture, he continues giving. And they, they were trying to get him to move the feast. And he said, no, it has to stay. It must stay because that's what God said. Are you with me? Yeah. It's so important for us to stay on that must be. I thought about when we planted this church, uh, we were faced with the same thing. We were leaving a church that was highly dysfunctional, and I got a call from a pastor friend of mine who said, hey, we got an opportunity. The job is yours in California. You can come down here. It would have been seamless. Uh, I said California, if you understand what I'm saying. And, uh, and so I'm literally, Caroline's three months old. I'm rocking her in a rocking chair. Being like, you know, my wife's crazy. Faith, she's over here saying to me, uh, no, we got to go plant a church. God's called us to, you know, she's, she's, it's our must be. And I'm like, honey, like I go to the office. You don't like planting a church is really hard. Like, you know, it doesn't just show up <laughs> and she knows that. But, but so I'm like, Jess, this is the worst time possible. I'm holding this three month old. We're going off health insurance. We have no promises. Like, like, we, like, we, and so California is over here. Like, oh, California, that's easy. The worship leader of that church was Lincoln Brewster, uh, a, a really well, like, Dove Award. I'm like, this is, this is easy. Like, let, let's, let's do that. But words started to get spoke into our life. God started prophetically saying things and sending messages that it made it obvious that the must be is this. And so I'm so grateful that I responded in the must be. It was terrifying. It was, it was, I mean, worse than terrifying to just think, you know, especially because we came to Cookie Monster Zealand that didn't need another church, right? Hey, I got an idea. Let's go to Zealand. They need a church. They need a church. And, uh, and so it was terrifying, but I would trade every single, I would never trade every single terrifying moment of planting this church because I see all the rewards of a must be lifestyle baptisms. <laughs> this morning, 
I went and got Jess. I can't believe I'm telling you this. You guys are going to be like, what a creeper. I went over and got my wife. And I was like, you got to come over here and watch, watch these people worship. Because I know their story of a, of a terribly broken road. Basically left for dead. No one believed in them. No one cared about them. And this morning, they're worshiping and tears run down their face. As they, as they sing, God never left me. He's going to kick down the wall. Whatever the lyrics are, I don't know. That's Maddie's job. <laughs> but people's just saying, he left the 99 for me. And, like, and, and they're doing that in this place that we weren't sure would ever come together. Because we moved out on this must be instead of this convenience. Are you with me? And the reward of it is better than anything you could ever be a part of. I don't care what promotion you get. I don't care how successful you can be. I don't care how intelligent level you ever think you get to. Nothing is greater than the reward of God honoring your must be. Are you with me? I'll close with this. Must be's call you into the greatness levels with God. Jess, uh, she's not in the room now because Callie's, um, uh, you know, Callie's a baby. So she's either eating or fussing or sleeping or pooping on something. <laughs> but even in the first few years of this church, Jess would say, I don't know all my I am. I, I know God loves me. I know he cares for me. I know all these things but I don't know how he's going to fully use me. I don't know. And so she started to seek out counseling and study in things and get books and talk to other leaders. And she started to build up and, and round off her whole I am in God. And she, and she built it up. And, she, and so a couple years ago, if she ever spoke in front of anyone, first of all, she wouldn't say anything. Second of all, there'd be a puddle on the floor. But as she learned and, and filled her I am and, and all that God and her, her place and her position, not only in God, but in this church, it then caused her to do something that moved into a must be. And you now see her preaching and teaching and leading other people. Are you with me? Because she understands must be in God is the only way to live. The foundation of it all is not hold back and, and I'm, I'm, I'm cookie monster, me, 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 till I feel blessed. Enough. No, it's, it's all in. If you want to be great, serve, give all that stuff I said a minute ago, deny yourself, take up your cross. All of those things are truths. Amen. David shows up to Goliath and says, all these distractions, all these good excuses. David could show up and say, I am the faithful shepherd boy. And I am the, the worshiper. And I am. And he shows up to Goliath. He had all the excuses to not take on Goliath. Well, you see, the stuff, it doesn't fit me. And there's no way that I could move out into this must be and take out Goliath. No, he had a must be about his life. And he said, I, I'm going to handle this thing. I don't want to sit over here and just say, well, I'm blessed and I'm this. And I'm, no, I'm going to be a person who moves out and must be. Amen. The scripture says there's an angel. It gives the story of an angel. One angel killed 186,000 men. And Jacob had such a must be in his life. He said, I will not stop wrestling with this angel until it blesses me. It must be about him. I have to do I'm not going to sit back and just be comfortable and bless me, consumer. And I'm all for identity. I'm all for, again, don't, don't, don't. 
I don't want you to even like put me on the edge of blasphemy. I think that is, is all so true at our core. But if we stay there, it's a huge disservice to the kingdom. Are you with me? So some of us got to wrestle with this must be of I will not stop until you bless this must be. I thought about Joshua. We see in the Old Testament, Joshua, he's got this uh, battle that he's in. And the scripture said it comes to the point that if the sun goes down, he'll begin to lose again. And so literally Joshua's must be was we must win this thing. So he has enough faith in God to tell the sun to hold on. I'm talking the sun in the sky, he told to stand still. You can research it now that there's science that says that when they look back through how the sun has come up and gone down, they can actually in science prove that there was a time in history where the sun skipped its normal sequence. It stood still for the must be of God. Are you with me? I think about Moses had a must be and he got to run through a red sea. What does God want to do in your life when you move out on your must be? I must, I'm not just going to be content in this I am. I want a foundation of going with all that God has in a must of my life. Amen. The greatest ministries that I've ever been a part of or connected to or that I gain influence from, if you sat in a room with them, every single one would start with this. Oh, this thing was going on and this situation happened or we heard of this and we knew we must start this ministry. We must do this thing. We must obey God. We must move out in faith. No one says, oh, well, we, you know, we, we got together and, and we just, we got more master's degrees and we sharpened up and all that stuff is fine. I'm not coming against any of that. But it's people who move out that have great influence. Amen. I'm grateful that I was raised by parents who didn't allow me to play patty cake and stay in a place of I am. I'm blessed. I'm a church kid. I'm favored. No, they, they said, get out there. You can do it. Go do it. Half the time it felt like walking the plank. <clears throat> Amen. Anybody in ministry? Amen. No. Well, get ready because I'm going to make you if you've never. No, I'm just kidding. But the greatest thing we could do to our kids, for our kids, is give them the boldness and the understanding and the confidence that God has equipped them in an I am that they can handle every must be that presents their life. That's a better amen. Amen. They show up in the lunchroom to the hurting, depressed, possibly suicidal person, and they can't sit back and do nothing. They move out on a must be and they lay hands and pray and see depression leave. That's the only way you're going to solve it in school. This epidemic's not changing through speeches. We need the power of God. And we need it by people that are taking steps out in these must-be's. Are you with me? Even death has to bow a knee to the must-be's of God. You know, the Valley of Dry Bones. God said prophetically over it that it would be a double portion miracle. And even though the, it was down to bones, death had to bow its knee to the must be of the word of God. Are you with me? It's the same thing for your life. We just can't, we just can't be content keeping it all to ourselves. We got to move out into all that God has for us.